Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. What's poppin' everybody? This is Priscilla. And this is Norma. And you're listening to It's It's the Mystery Mystery for me. Me. Welcome back to It's the Mystery for Me. Last year, I mean last week, damn, why did I say last year? I don't know. But last week we had some um, technical difficulties and called up Apple and and somehow our track was inadvertently deleted. Now I'm not saying Apple did it, but I'm also not saying that they didn't do it. So you read between the lines, y'all. Read between between the lines. Um, Well, what do I want to tell everybody? birth of our nephew oh yeah oh yeah our nephew was born this past weekend which is super exciting and non-podcast related news but he's the first nephew and the first grandson yeah so it's a pretty big deal an article is supposed to drop featuring our podcast this week and that's all i could say right now y'all that's all i could say but we're definitely excited (laughs) about this Mm -hmm. feature i'm not gonna lie it's a big deal it's a big deal. You know what I'm saying? I so, can confirm. Yes. And I mean, I don't think we would have gotten the feature without y'all, without your support, without your patience, without all of that, the comments, the reviews. All of that is what helped us to get this opportunity. So as soon as we see the article, we finna post it on our Instagram. So just be on the lookout. I also want to just give you guys a little sneak peek of what's going to be going on in the next few weeks. I have finally gotten into contact with um, the sister and the family of a particular person that we're going to be covering on this podcast in the upcoming weeks. And this is um, something that you guys have not seen on TV. Like this case has not been on the news in the way that, you know, other cases have been. It has not been covered by any major TV show, like the ones we're constantly, you know, citing to. Um, There have been no podcast episodes on this case. And I just want to tell you guys, I spoke to the sister and the reason I was able to speak to her was because I called up the homicide department. I had found this case online and I'll definitely go into more details about like how I came across it. Um, on another episode, but basically found it online, reached out to the homicide department. After some back and forth, I was able to get her information. I actually, you know, texted her this past weekend, just introducing, um, you know, myself, the podcast and all of that stuff. And I asked her if, you know, we could hop on a quick call for like 10 minutes. Y'all, we talked for like 40 minutes. Like, we both realized like the you know coincidences there's no such thing as a coincidence like it was supposed to happen this way and i'm really excited to bring the story to you guys because i think this will definitely give the case more exposure number one and number two it's definitely an opportunity for me and norma to tap into our like crime investigation journalist type of you know thing you know what i'm saying like it's a different it's definitely a different position than what we what we do on a weekly basis because on a weekly basis at least we have like we have some sources we can turn to and we have programs that we can watch but this is really like from the ground up so i'm thinking that we're probably going to bring it to you guys in like two or three parts i'm gonna try not to spread it over like a few weeks though because i know people want to just like be able to hear the rest of the story and understand like what's going on and um but I just wanted to let you guys know, like, this is happening and I'm going to schedule another meeting with her um, 
and me and Norma will talk to her at length and maybe it will also feature her voice. I'm going to talk to her about the possibilities of that because I think it would be cool to like have her talk about it, right? Like I've heard this done. So maybe she'll be open to, you know, us using her voice, but I really, I'm looking forward to bringing that to you guys. I think we'll see the episode probably later in February at some point. We'll see at least part one. And now we finna get into, you know, last week's episode, which is really this week's episode now. And I'm going to be honest with y'all. I already heard the case, but I just wanted to like kind of put y'all on notice. So for this week's episode, I watched um, season three, episode 11 of In Ice Cold Blood. I also looked at an Oxygen article other articles as well but there wasn't too much on this case unfortunately i was able to find court of appeals document though of course as usual that's my favorite and the court of appeals document let me tell you if you listen to this podcast then y'all already know that you know court of appeals document it'd be having all the tea Mm -hmm. and for more sources related to today's episode you can click the link in our show notes or go to our website it's the mystery for me.com so this case takes us back to 2008 in sacramento california this is the case of alicia ray alicia ray was born on october 13 1987 so in 2008 she would have been 20 years old she is one of three siblings she has an older brother and a younger sister her family and friends described her as a kind person who wanted more for herself she was very family oriented On the show In Ice Cold Blood, her cousin Tamika described her as a gift from God, someone with a big heart who loved love, and just an overall beautiful person. Her friend from the eighth grade, who also made an appearance on the show, described her as beautiful, bubbly, just someone who would always make people laugh. You would just notice her whenever she entered a room. She was that kind of person. So she was like me. Yes, Priscilla, she was like you. Someone's going to write in the comments that I'm narcissistic. And you know what? You might be right. (laughs) So Alicia grew up in Sacramento, California. And for the first four years of her life, she lived in L.A. with her mom, Eugenia, and her brother. But at some point, her mother, Eugenia, she believed that her kids just needed more of a family structure, family unit. And since Eugenia's mother... So Alicia's grandmother lived in Sacramento along with Alicia's uncle. She thought the move to Sacramento made the most sense since the kids didn't have their biological father in their lives. So age four was a pivotal moment for Alicia because along with the move to Sacramento, her mom met her stepfather and they got married. And he essentially helped raise Alicia. But unfortunately, by the time Alicia was age 17, her parents got a divorce. And this really impacted Alicia. This is going to sound weird, but she never knew that her stepfather wasn't her biological father. Right. And I remember hearing that last week and just being like, huh? Because my thing is, I guess there's reasons why people would do that. But why not just tell your kid? So basically, her stepdad... They divorced. Her stepdad told Alicia. Yeah. During the divorce process or something, Mm -hmm. you're actually not my kid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, I just think that that's like just shady. It is. Very like, I just feel like that's very inconsiderate. And if he had been this amazing father figure in her life, I could see how that could have drastically changed her image of him. Uh Uh-huh. It definitely did. But more than anything, it sent her spiraling. And um, she became very isolated. She was lost. And again, she kept removing herself. And it was something that her family noticed about her. She was eventually diagnosed with being depressed. So when you say removing herself, you mean what? Like not going to school? No, she was still going to school. But just like emotionally, she was disconnected right okay from her family and her friends Hmm. damn we all depressed (laughs) it's not easy it ain't easy but one of her coping mechanisms was turning to poetry she really loved writing and she ended up winning an award in high school for best poem 
In 2006, Alicia graduated from Sheldon High School, and in 2007, she moved with her mom and her little sister to Texas for her mom's job. As far as what her mom does for a living, I have no idea. She did not bring it up on the show. Okay. Well, might not be relevant anyways. But wait, the sister, the younger sister is or could be the daughter of like her stepfather, right? That's what I'm thinking. But the sister didn't make an appearance on the show. Right. There's no information on the younger sister. The stepfather wasn't on the show either. I think everybody deals with grief differently. For them, it might just be too much to bear. You know, they've already kind of made peace with it, maybe. And this would be just, like, a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But Alicia had a really hard time with the move. It came to a point where she was really missing her friends. She was missing her family. And she eventually ended up moving back to Sacramento in the summer of 2008. Right. Specifically Mm -hmm. in July 2008, Mm. she decides to move back to Sacramento to live with her high school friend, Rachel. Mm -hmm. And at this point, she's also looking for a job. But once she's settled in, she tells her mom, Eugenia, that she's she's very happy. And her mom believes it. She tells her mom, this is the best thing for me. And she makes it seem like everything is going great. During this time, Eugenia is financially supporting Alicia until she finds a job and she's actively looking for a job and in just a few weeks alicia's mom would learn that the job hunt was over on august 10th 2008 a 911 call came in at around 2 a.m about a fire at the tamron ranch apartment complex which is where alicia and rachel live so the tenant that lives underneath alicia and rachel called the fire department and said that He saw smoke Mm. and he believed the apartment above him was on fire. Right. When the fire department arrived, they noticed that the fire was contained in one of the bedrooms. They extinguished the fire and then they see a badly burnt body on the floor next to the bed, face down with a USB cord around the neck. And it looked like a nude female. Mm. Yeah. So when detectives arrive... It is immediately apparent to them that it's a crime scene and more than likely a homicide. According to the show in Ice Cold Blood, the fire had started at around 1.40, 1.45 a.m. Hmm. The bed sheets, the mattress were set on fire, and an arson investigator later determined that the fire was set intentionally. The female was found in what detectives described as a sexual position. So her hips were up in the air, face Mm-mm. down, if you get what I'm saying. <sighs> this part is just as disturbing as it was last week. Because mm-hmm. I just feel like it's just humiliating to do that to a person. Like, this person wanted this person to be embarrassed. Yeah. Even in their death, right? In this case, they're murdered. My mind immediately went to, okay, this has to be someone close to her. Because to me, it just seems like something like a crime of passion or something where it's like, you know the person. It just seems too personal to me. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what detectives thought when they saw this. Interestingly enough, there was no blows to her body, nothing to her head. There were no bruises. The only thing is that they noticed that the way that her hands were positioned, that she was trying to get the USB cord from around her neck, that there was a struggle. During this time, though, the identity of the female is still unknown. So there's no way of knowing, is this Rachel, Alicia's roommate? Is this Alicia herself? Is this someone else? While detectives would get closer to uncovering that, when at 9 a.m., Rachel showed up to the apartment. She was shocked and confused to see cops. They're telling her, you can't go in. It's an active crime scene. There's a body inside. They asked her if she knows anyone that would be inside. Does she live with anyone? And she tells them that she does have a roommate named Alicia and that Alicia had just moved in with her three weeks prior. Rachel explains that she's coming home from work Rachel works a graveyard shift, so meaning she goes into work really late at night and she ends in the morning. But detectives still ask her to come to the station to talk because 
they need as much information as possible. At this point, based on the evidence so far, detectives are leaning on a theory of rape murder and then an arson to cover up the murder. And now they find evidence that makes that theory even stronger. Detectives find not one, but two used condoms. Mm. A used condom is found not far from the body in the bedroom. And then a second condom is found in the kitchen inside a plastic bag wrapped in napkins. Right. So as this is all developing, they're interviewing Rachel, right? So Rachel stated that it didn't appear that Alicia had any beef with anyone. So yes, there is a presumption that this might be Alicia, right? Right. Rachel left at 9 p.m. for work on August 9th, so the day before. At that time, it was just Alicia at home. Then at 10.30 p.m., Alicia texts Rachel asking if she can have someone over the apartment. But she didn't state the name. Mm. But Rachel knew that Alicia was talking to her high school boyfriend, Jose. Right. So now detectives are looking into Jose. But in the meantime, dental records come in. And it confirms that the burnt body that was found is that of Alicia Ray. How horrific is it that, like... You have to identify a loved one by dental records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's like, you can't even really, you can't recognize them. And I know for me personally, if I'm looking at somebody laying there who has passed, I need to be able to like say definitively, like they're gone by seeing them laying there, right? Yeah. That's just how my brain works. So I couldn't imagine it being a loved one and you can't really even you don't even see them as who they were when they were here. Mm -hmm. So I feel like as far as closure goes, that must be really tough on a family and their friends. The coroner's office also confirms that she was murdered by strangulation. Mm. So after this information comes in, they do contact her family and her mom receives a phone call. That's how she finds out. See, my thing is... I and I I said this last week too. They I'm surprised they just called the mom and told her over the phone versus mm-hmm. calling someone down in Texas as far as like a police department and having one of their officers go and tell her in person. That's yeah. very devastating news to get. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. I just think that they need to like probably revise that system. Yeah. Well, her brother also found out because their aunt called him and at first he was in disbelief, but then he saw on the news that Alicia actually did die. Mm. And he said his first reaction was that he ran to the bathroom and he started throwing up. I mean, I don't think it's unusual. At first, Mm. okay. Well, here's the thing. If I hadn't watched Cardi B's interview last week with Jason Lee, I probably I probably wouldn't know because I've never had that type of reaction, right? However, she said that when Takeoff died, Offset was throwing up and like just it it was just like a wave of emotions. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like yeah, makes sense. There's a lot going on. There's like, you know, disbelief, there's anger. You know, yeah. just a mix of everything. Oof. Keep in mind, this is all still the day of the fire. So August 10th. So right. there's a lot of moving pieces and it's all unraveling at the same time. So as detectives are interviewing Rachel, they now make their way to Jose's job. Because remember, um, Rachel told them like, hey, Alicia was talking to Jose. So right. they're now looking into him. They spoke to Jose's co-workers and it turns out that he was at work the day before. So August 9th from 5.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. Hmm. They were able to locate Jose and he's brought in for questioning. So during questioning, he said that Alicia is his friend and they've been hooking up for the last few weeks since she moved back to Sacramento. And during this interview, he apparently stated... And I quote, I don't love that bitch. That 
bitch ass mother. Let me not even say it. <laughs> what the heck? I just feel like the disrespect. The disrespect. Some of y'all <laughs> need to be dog walked. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, wait. At this point, he knows she's dead. She's like, he knows this. He's been told this. I'm sure that they've hinted at at the fact that I feel like that just makes something it, happened and it's already bad that he said that but I feel like wow you are really a piece of shit if you said this also after she was murdered mm-hmm. like what and also that don't really paint you in the good light right it's like mm, it's probably just like common sense 101 if you're brought in for questioning for like you know some type of murder probably should have first of all not say anything mm-hmm. second of all probably not insult the victim yeah right like common sense but what's his name jose, jose. josh okay jose mm-hmm. he seems to lack that yeah clearly jose said that the last time that he saw her was at eleven forty-five p.m the night before august 9th he did admit to having sex with her on the couch and he said that he left at around 12.15 a.m. on the 10th. And that he called his mom for a ride. But how, not how a old ride. Is Jose? How old is he? Yeah. At this point, I believe he's also around the same age, 20. Wow. Okay. Calling your mom for a ride. Mm-hmm. But he calls Love his it. mom to give him a ride to his girlfriend's house. Which is also very tricky. Jose is a messy, messy man. <laughs> yeah, and he shares a child with his girlfriend. How old is the kid? They never say. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So he claims that he arrived at his girlfriend's house at between 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. Actually, it wasn't even the girlfriend's house. It's her relative's house. Detectives are now looking into Jose's phone record, his mom's, and now Alicia's. Because he, they want to confirm that, okay, the time that you say that your mom is picking you up at 12.15 a.m., that you called her, she, you really called her at that time. Remember, the fire started at around 1.45 a.m., so they're trying to create a timeline here. Right. They're not fully convinced by Jose's story, so they do ask for his DNA, and he provides it to them without any resistance. Hmm. But now detectives are wanting to talk to Christy, his girlfriend. Not only can she, like, solidify his alibi and saying, like, oh, yeah, he was with me at 1 a.m., 2 a.m. They're also wondering if she's involved in some sort of love triangle between himself and Alicia. Hmm. You know what? I'm thinking, I mean, we've heard so many different alibis on this show. And a lot of them just seem to be ones that are incredibly biased, or non-existent. I think it's hard to verify where you are if you say, like, for example, I live by myself and mm-hmm. I, I really was home. Mm-hmm. That's tricky. If you have someone like a family friend or family member also, like, say that you were there, even if it's true, I'm just saying, like, these things are always, like, huge question marks to me. Yeah. So great if she can come in and say he's there, but I would take it as, a you know, with a grain of salt. Yeah. No, you're right. So detectives are able to talk to Christy to interview her briefly. And it turns out that Christy did, in fact, know about Alicia because she found text messages on Jose's phone between them. So at this point, Christy basically becomes suspect number two. According to the Court of Appeals document, her real name is India Love. And I noticed that there were different name changes for other people involved right which definitely happened on another episode we did yeah um and just as an fyi is not the india love that's like on social media yeah we looked it up last week and everything and it's not her um she doesn't have a kid Mm -hmm. but just interesting they're both from cali yeah but for now let's just stick to christy i think it's less confusing But Christy went as far as texting Alicia, Jose belongs to me, stay away or else. Ooh. It's not really clear when she sent these text messages, though. Right. But 
again, it kind of adds to this narrative of like, okay, is this a love triangle gone wrong? Was Christy like waiting in the parking lot for Jose to leave the apartment and then she went inside after Jose and committed a murder, right? It's possible. Did she choke Alicia with the cord? Because remember, that seemed very personal. Right. When they are talking to Christy, one of the things that they found interesting is the fact that Christy did not appear in any way sad at the fact that Alicia had died. She showed zero emotion, zero empathy. When Christy was asked where she was on the night of August 9th and the morning, August 10th, she responded that she was at her relative's house. Detectives have to follow up on this, and they do, and it turns out that she was, in fact, where she said she was, so she's cleared as a suspect. Mm-hmm. Again, everything's unfolding at around the same time. That means Rachel's being interviewed, Jose and Christy, all at the same time on August 10th. They're moving fast. So, yeah, extremely fast. So fast that the DNA evidence comes in from the used condoms. This happens actually during the interview with Christy. Condom number one was found near Alicia's body. The Court of Appeals document revealed that it was actually underneath her body. Wow. So because of the heat from the fire, the DNA was not retrievable from that condom. Okay. As to the second condom that was found in that plastic bag in the kitchen wrapped in the napkin, essentially there was no DNA that was retrieved from that either because... Basically, whoever was wearing it was shooting blanks. So there was no sperm. I see. Okay. So there was literally nothing DNA-wise to connect yeah, them if there was no. no sperm? Interesting. This person was sterile. Interesting. So, now, I would think that there was something there that they could still connect the person. I did too. I didn't realize that like there has to be sperm, but apparently that's the case. Hmm. So they're thinking, okay, like... It can't be Jose because he's a child unless Jose somehow had a vasectomy. Right. This is a disappointing discovery. But, you know, they do still try to remain hopeful. And they happen to stumble across a third suspect. And that third suspect is Rachel's ex-boyfriend, John. Mm. So this information came in through the neighbor that lives underneath them. Basically told cops that, you know, what's really funny so-and-so's boyfriend ex-boyfriend stopped by my house about an hour before the fire for a good 10 minutes and john actually used to live with rachel so that's how he knows a neighbor otherwise that would be really weird like right. him letting him into his house right so rachel is still being interviewed and she's questioned about john at this point and she reveals that her and john have had a really nasty fallout That he was very abusive towards her Mm. and they ended their relationship over six months ago and have not spoken since. Wow. So why would he be over at their apartment complex? What was he looking for? Did he, for some reason, murder Alicia? Was she an unintended target? Hmm. Well, John is brought in for questioning 13 and a half hours after the murder. Wow. Wow. So John admits to being at the complex that night, August 9th, and he said that he was with his friends. They were driving around. They thought it would be funny to play a prank on Rachel. I don't know what he was thinking, but he said that when he got to the complex, he noticed that Rachel's car wasn't there. So he figured, oh, like, let me just, you know, visit the neighbor. Let me just drop in and say hi. Let me make my presence known. Yeah, because, I mean... I'm sure maybe the neighbor would have told Rachel, like, hey, yeah. John was here. Right. So he knows what he was doing. Or um, he's, like, trying to form an alibi by making sure, like, hello, here I am. Or that you might have a point. Because it is strange that the fire did start an hour after he visited. I'm just saying. Detectives still think it's weird that John just happened to pop up. And they take his DNA. He denies having anything to do with the murder. He said that he left the complex by 1 a.m. Again, the fire started around 1.45 a.m. He said he was with his friends getting food. And his friends corroborated his story. And then detectives stumble across surveillance tape at a fast food drive-thru. And he was actually there with his friends in the car. Okay. So because of that, John is crossed out as a suspect. He's lucky he got caught on camera. I don't remember you saying that last week. But 
Yeah. yeah wow. I did, I did you say did. Mm-hmm. a lot has happened in the last week, y'all. <laughs> but wow, how lucky is he? Yeah. Because not for nothing, you were you very placed- close to the crime scene around the time. Yeah. Very so close. he is lucky because mm-hmm. we know how they could get people on circumstantial evidence. Yeah. Definitely. So, hmm. But the possible suspect list does not end there. Detectives discover another suspect, suspect number four. And this is going to shock you. Well, Priscilla, you might not be as shocked. Right. But this is going to shock you listeners because it definitely shocked me and it shocked her family and investigators. Right. They find that Alicia had been placing ads on Craigslist. You already know what that means. She had been working as an escort. Hmm. More power to her. Mm-hmm. Take, take their money, sis. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, there's definitely another side to it. You do what you got to do. But her family was really upset about this. Right. Um, her cousin, especially Tamika, she was very close with her. Right. And she was shocked that she had left this out. Well, I think I can understand that side, too, where it's like, as a family, I think, you know, there's a certain reputation that comes with it. But also, the other mm-hmm. side of it is, it's very dangerous. And so it's more so like, okay, like, for your safety... I'm not going to tell you what's happening. Well, no, I mean, like her from her family's perspective, they're probably like, well, this is a dangerous profession. You should have told us. And yeah, maybe Alicia was thinking this is a dangerous profession. That's why I didn't tell you. Right. Um, But yeah, you just never you don't know. Like she's placing ads on Craigslist. You don't know who's going to come to your door. Mm -hmm. It's like a coin toss. Definitely. And remember, her mom was financially supporting her at the time. Right. And I think I mentioned this last week, how, like, during college, for me, right. my mom and my dad supported me yeah. financially. But I always felt like it wasn't enough. Yeah. Like, it came down to me deciding, okay, I'm going to either spend this money on food for the week or I'm going to buy a cute outfit. And I would always choose food. <laughs> Right, because you need food to survive, and I would just trade outfits with my roommates. I would use your top. You could use my skirt. Yeah, so. I was working very early for the same, like, kind of, just because I didn't want mom and dad to dictate what I did. Because I noticed that if they were paying for certain things, that they were placing either limitations or they're like, no, you can't go to this place or you can't do this because mm. we're not going to give you the money to do this. If it was something they didn't agree with, like me getting my boob job, dad did not want me to get a boob job. You know, obviously it's like actual surgery. Mm-hmm. He saw it as like purely cosmetic, which it was. But at the end of the day, I wanted a boob job and I paid for it. Like it was already paid for. Mm-hmm. So I was just really informing him the night before. By the way, Dad. <laughs> wow, the night before? <laughs> the night before. Wow. And I think that's when mom and dad realized, like, damn, she going to do what she want to do. Because, like, I can, you know, I had the money to do it. And I've always been like that. And then as life went on, I always lived outside of the house. Like, I rarely, I think I lived here one year when I first started law school. Right. And then I moved out in my 20s. Like, that was really the only time I lived at home. I was always very independent. I just didn't want people telling me anything. Like, I paid my own car bills, like, cell phone bill. Dad paid my insurance till I graduated from law school at 29. (laughs) So he paid it since I was 16. But you know what? As soon as I was able to pay it, I was like, thanks, Dad. I'm taking over. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah, And that's a big deal. And I think that that's probably what it was for Alicia. She wanted yes. to be independent. Exactly. So she I, had can, that drive, I that understand motivation. like why she was like, all right, let me get out here and get it. Now people might not understand like the escort part, but I don't see escorts as being less than. I, I just don't have that view mm-hmm. on escorts. I think that they're just out here, you know, working their job like everybody else. Now, if you are, I mean, there's differences to this, right? Like if you're being sex trafficked, that kind of, that's very different. Right. If you're in it voluntarily, mm. um, which it seems like Alicia was kind of voluntarily doing it, maybe in some ways. I don't know. And then sometimes like, Alicia was also super young. So like, sometimes you do stuff when you're younger that you wouldn't necessarily do <clears throat> when you're older. Maybe she wouldn't have agreed with it as she got older, but it just kind of was like... 
all right, I'm young. Let me go out and get it mm-hmm. however I can. And that's what her mom, Eugenia, was basically saying, too, that Alicia was so young. And yeah. when you're young, you make mistakes, yeah. right? But that doesn't mean that she deserved to die. Right. She deserved to be murdered. Yeah, no, absolutely not. A deeper dive into Alicia's laptop revealed that she would meet men online and then she would invite them to the apartment. Mm. So now detectives are like, well, this complicates things significantly. And they're afraid that they may never solve this case. Right. It went from a small pool to a gigantic pool. Yeah. Of people. But almost like fate, they happened to find a name and a phone number of one of her clients on her laptop. Suspect number four, Pete Wallace, who Alicia was scheduled to meet the night of August 9th. What are the chances? Yeah. Wow. So Pete was going over for some sexual favor. And based on the text messages that he sent to Alicia, he likely was at the apartment around the time of her murder. Mm. The detectives are able to get in touch with Pete. He comes in and they ask him whether he has some sort of health condition. He says, well, yeah, I had lymphoma back in 1999 and I received chemotherapy for that, so I'm sterile. Wow. So they're able to put two and two together about the condom. It seems like he could actually be a match to this. He said that the reason why he wore a condom even though he was sterile is because he wanted to protect himself against STDs and... HIV, and we know that that's not an absolute production. So, right. but he did confirm that he did wrap the condom in a napkin and put it in the plastic bag in the kitchen. Right. Investigators stated that Pete seemed really nervous, and it seemed like he was nervous about the whole soliciting a prostitute situation. Right. He probably didn't want to catch a charge. Yeah, because in California, under Penal Code 647B, a person is prohibited from either engaging in it or soliciting prostitution. So he was nervous about that for sure. But they tell him, oh, like, no, we're not charging you with that. That's not what you're here for. She was actually murdered. So that's why you're here. He probably was like, holy moly. Yeah. I'd rather (laughs) take the solicitation charge. Right. Damn. So he was in shock. Right. He tells him, listen, it wasn't me. Um, We were only in the living room. We got busy on the couch, and apparently he had paid her $40 for a lap dance and $40 for a hand job. And they spoke a little bit after that, and he said that he noticed that towards the end of their conversation, she was on her phone texting someone. I'm stuck on the $40 part. She got (laughs) to charge more. Definitely. That's what I was thinking. Up that charge, time. Got to up that charge. Yep. But, yeah. So she was texting at the end of their encounter. Yeah. Right. So Pete said that he left at around 1230 a.m. on the morning of August 10th and that he got home at around 1 a.m. But the thing is that Pete lives by himself. So we we know how that goes. There is no one to verify his alibi. Verify. Yeah, exactly. So detectives subpoena his cell phone records to see where his cell phone pinged during the time of the murder. And while they're waiting for that to come back, they now question Jose about this new information about Alicia being an escort. And Jose says that, oh yeah, he knows that she's an escort. He even helped her in terms of like what to post, what sexy pictures to post, what videos to post, Mm. which detectives thought was very odd because they're thinking, okay, what's in it for you? Right. You know, Is he a pimp? Exactly. Like... They weren't sure. Huh. I really, I genuinely do not recall this part. Really? We talked about it. I know we talked about it, but like now that I'm thinking about the pimp part, like, was he her pimp? Like, was he getting money from this? According to the Court of Appeals document, the reason that he was helping her with this is because he planned to post her on an escort website so that he can get enough money to gain custody of his daughter. But wasn't he in a relationship? I'm so confused. Was he not in a relationship with the mother of his child? Yeah. So maybe he was just plotting his escape maybe. and wanted to get custody? Yeah. Wait, so you want to get custody by being a pimp? <laughs> That'll look great on court papers. Yeah. 
because they're going to ask him certain things on paper. I mean, okay, he has a job, so. Mm-hmm. But, like, imagine he didn't have a job. It's like, what's your job? And you're trying to fight for custody. Right. Like, the court this really sounds does really, this. Um, yeah. You know, as sad as it might be, because people might not have, like, you know, for whatever reason, can't work. I'm sure there's, like, obviously there's, like, extenuating circumstances, like, that the court will look into. But generally, mm-hmm. I mean, they would ask, how are you going to provide for the kid? Right. So that so was very concerning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Detectives asked him to take a polygraph and he agreed when they asked him about certain parts of Alicia's murder, that comes back like inconclusive as though he, there's definitely deception around certain questions, but the show doesn't go into further details. And we know that, you know, as, as far as it's admissibility into court, it usually doesn't come in. What do you mean? What doesn't come in? Polygraph. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. So things like, I don't know, courts used to let in pretty much anything. And then as time went on, I would say like late 90s, you start to see them cracking down on it and saying like, all right, actually, we're going to create the steps, like all these steps that you need to be able to pass in order for like something like this, like a junk science type of thing to come into court. Because Mm -hmm. before so many random things were coming in. So mm -hmm. that's true. Well, everything starts going downhill after this polygraph test for Jose. And what I mean by that is that his alibi starts to unravel because his mom tells a completely different story. So you know how I said Jose called his mom around like 12, 15 a.m. Right. On August 10th. She told detectives that he called her around 2 a.m. Oh, yeah, that's right. To pick Mm -hmm. him up. So not like he said. And the fire started at around 1.45 a.m. Right. Okay. She goes on to say that when she picked him up, he was acting oddly. She picked him up across the street. He was hiding in the shadows. When he hears that this is a statement that his mom made, he goes on to change his own story. He says that, fine, like, okay, he was in the apartment. He had sex with Alicia on the couch. And that he left the apartment and waited outside because that's when her client was arriving. So he didn't just call his mom immediately after leaving her apartment at 12, 15 a.m. He was just waiting outside while she was inside with her client. Wow. Because he felt... what? He told them that he was concerned that they were taking too long. So So he was staying behind for her safety out of concern for her. Right. And when he felt that something was off, that's when he decided to go into the apartment and the door was unlocked. And he said that he goes to the apartment and he sees a man choking Alicia. That he froze. He as in Jose froze. And he was so scared he didn't know what to do and he just left. Like, see, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. You just leave. It's like... Like, why not call 911? Why not? I don't know. I guess just so I guess strange you're in to a me. fight or flight mode, but I just. Yeah, but you can I don't run know, away and still, still call. Yeah. And he didn't call 911. Yeah. Huh? Okay. He didn't. So detectives aren't buying this. They feel that Jose knows too many details as to how she died. Right. Because I don't even think that they revealed, you know, the fact that she was being choked. Right. Right by a cord and he specifically said that she's being choked by a cord so So they're basically telling on himself yeah he's telling on himself but he's creating this third party to take himself out of the situation to take the heat off of himself there are way too many cases where people think they can outsmart the cops by bringing in a third party a random third party and then you just look like a fool it's like if anything it's it's almost like you're pointing your hand right back at yourself yeah you know what the most fascinating part um, of this case for me was? Mm. Just generally, I know we're not there yet at the end. It's still August 10th, y'all. <laughs> it's still the same, like yeah. literally the same day Alicia has been murdered. Yeah. There's still, this is all happening on August 10th. Yes. That is mind blowing to me because we, I feel like every other case we've done, we've never seen the timeline move no. this fast. Especially with DNA. The fact that the DNA came back. This is what we were saying. We didn't even know that DNA could come back this fast. Right. So that is just, 
it's just very shocking. But I think it just also goes to show that, like, when people want to get something done, they get it done. Mm-hmm. And I think you said the cops on this were what? Like, they're, female yeah, detectives? Yeah, they're females. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. You made it happen. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It is now 21 hours into the investigation and phone records come in. So from the phone records, they see that Jose was clearly lying from the start. Okay. His cell phone pinged at the complex at around the time of the fire. Mm. When he's approached with this information, though, Jose asks for an attorney. Mm. But detectives have enough to charge Jose. He's arrested and charged with murder. So keep in mind, again, this is less than 24 hours. I can't believe that. I'm happy about it. It's just shocking because that's not yeah. what I'm used to seeing, especially in cases with people that look like us, right? Like mm-hmm. black women, black girls. You just don't see this happening. And I don't think we know the race of Alicia, right? Not Alicia. I'm sorry. Rachel. Her roommate. No, yeah. Yeah. And we don't know the race of Mr. Nervous Guy. No. Nope. Pete. He gives me like... I'm not going to say it, but he seems His like, real name is, I, I think I said this last episode, well, <laughs> the last recording of this episode. Isaac Utter is his real name. So, so many different name changes. Yeah. Like, John is probably not John. Right. Rachel's not Rachel, you know. So, a more thorough look into Alicia's computer uncovers the fact that Jose was controlling and obsessed with Alicia. Mm. He wanted to control who she was with and when she was with them. He went as far as texting her, you better stop disrespecting me or I'm going to beat your ass. And he apparently texted this to her a few days before the murder. Mm. He deleted all text messages between himself and Alicia mm-hmm. right after he initially was approached by detectives. So before he went to the station, he, he did that. And an interesting fact is that Alicia's mom said that she didn't even know that Jose existed. She did not know that this was Alicia's high school boyfriend. Wow. And we were saying this last week. Yeah, how that's true. Well, I was it's saying like, well, teenagers, sometimes they hide things from their parents, like who they're talking to, who they're hooking up with. And I think it just depends because I was also I was pretty open about like, hey, I'm hanging out with this person or that person. I wouldn't get into details, though. Mom would try to get into details, and I would be like, no, ew, get away from me, you know? <laughs> but, like, I mean, she had a general idea of, of um, the many guy boys that I was talking to in high school. What can I say? I was popular. <laughs> they all love me. To this day. <laughs> it's true. I can confirm. <laughs> like, they all check on me and everything. You know what I, mean? I mean, it's not shocking that her mom wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. People like Jose scare me. Being all territorial and stuff, like, yeah, Jekyll and Hyde. Then in July of 2011, the trial starts, and it lasted only two weeks. There's no physical evidence in this case. There's no DNA. There's no, like, fingerprints, nothing, okay? Really, all that they have is a cell phone records that places Jose at the scene. They have the fact that his alibi completely unraveled with his mom. So I feel like his mom really... Like, stuck it to him. Yeah. And I don't think it was intentional. Remember, you were saying that this case unraveled so quickly that they didn't have time to talk about it. Exactly. To be like, hey, mom, like, I need you to say X, Y, and Z. Don't say this. Right. But she gave so many details that, like... Okay. To me, if I'm a parent, or just, like, I don't even have to be a parent. Let's say I'm called down to the police station. I'm asked about somebody I know, a Mm -hmm. close friend or something. I'm not going to be asked about them unless something is up, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I just think it's common sense to know, like, okay, if I'm down here in a damn interrogation room, they asking me about so-and-so, it's probably not good. But she really was just saying... All these things that I, I can't imagine um, you saying these things and not knowing that it sounds sketchy, right? Like, yeah. yeah, I went to pick him up and he was hiding in the bushes. I mean, maybe as a parent, she's like, you know what? You know, this is what his ass get. I told him to stay in school and his ass didn't listen. You know what I'm saying? She could be thinking that. But like, part of me thinks like she was just like, just telling them, just answering questions. She could have just been 
afraid because mm-hmm. like i don't know she could be like an accessory after the fact and she's like oh my Maybe gosh they like, told her that yeah right because police have very interesting tactics yeah you would be surprised like what kind of cases have gone up to the have gone up to the supreme court where you would think like oh absolutely the supreme court is going to strike this down they're going to say no this is unacceptable and they say actually it is it's just a police tactic mm-hmm. you would literally be like what the actual but it happens Police can do a lot of things. They can lie to you. Yeah. Um, but that's why people always say, like, you should not speak to the police without a lawyer present. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're going in to volunteer information and stuff. Cops can play dirty games. You know what I'm saying? In this case, I'm glad it went down this way. <laughs> you feel me? But then when I look at cases like that are done by the Innocence Project where people really were coerced into giving these statements it just gives you the other side of the story where it's like this is why you should lower her up mm-hmm. right because one innocent person in prison is enough yeah and that is why we say lawyer up yeah so, was there a language barrier like i'm just wondering I wonder, right i wonder like jose is hispanic yeah and you never um, know sometimes and things like this again tactic is the key here they could have brought in a hispanic officer Mm-hmm. And she's just talking to him casually, right? Yeah. Like, just super chill and yeah. tell me about Jose and like, okay, so you went to pick him up. Like, that's so nice of you to pick him up. Exactly. You know, these are some things that go on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's wild, but it's true. very intricate. So another factor that's revealed during the trial is that Jose didn't just go up to Alicia's apartment because he was concerned. The way that he made it seem like, oh, I was waiting. It was taking too long with her client. And I just ran upstairs. That did not happen. Because at 1249 a.m., Alicia was the one who texted Jose telling him, hey, Pete just left. Mm. Come up. And Jose replied, K. Exactly. Okay. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So it's like she pretty much like messes up his alibi. Yeah. Like messes up his timeline yes because you know he was saying that he busted in there because someone else was in there but she clearly texted and said like no one's here yes how can you explain that one away what you took her phone and you texted that that yourself like you know what i'm saying that wouldn't even make no damn sense so i know he probably would be like well the person texted that so that could be upstairs and they could like i don't know yeah you know how that goes but Mm -hmm. so i felt like that was a really important break in this case jose is found guilty of arson and first degree murder and he's sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 34 years okay so he's probably yes okay so now yeah so now he's 35 and he's eligible for parole in 2032 apparently oh yeah huh so i'm not sure like what happened there i'm like okay maybe i don't think he had a record you know like good i I guess good behavior it could be a few things and again yeah. if there's not this concrete evidence sometimes judges who are sentencing people right like they have to adhere to a sentencing guideline mm-hmm. so i know a lot of people will be like how why did this judge sentence them so harshly or not harshly usually there's a booklet and it'll say like for this crime if they're found guilty you have to sentence them between let's say 10 and life yeah or something mm-hmm. like that so that's probably the judge probably you know took certain things into consideration the fact that maybe he doesn't have a record maybe you know there wasn't really physical evidence tying him to it um you know what i'm saying like and maybe that's why they're like okay 34 to life however 34 to life he could still very well spend his entire life in prison because just because he goes up for parole like they could shoot him down right they could just be like um hmm I don't know. We think you did it. And we don't know if you're rehabilitated enough to go back out into society. Right. It's possible. But either way, this was disappointing for her family. Right. Her brother wanted him. He basically said on the show in Ice Cold Blood, like, fry him. Like, right. fry him up. Yes. Um, Because he was very, like, emotional and upset. Obviously, because this case, it was so graphic. She was murdered and she was burnt. And then she was placed in a sexually suggestive position for her to be found that way. So So, it's just, 
I can't even a imagine. A whole other level yeah. of disgust. I think this was like the most graphic yeah. one in a, in a in at least a long time. Because mm-hmm. what? Yeah. Her brother basically said, you know, life is really short and to tell your loved ones that you love them when you can. Aww. Their mother, Eugenia, said that there's just an empty void in her life that will never be filled for the rest of her life. She's sad that Alicia doesn't get to experience certain things like getting married, trying on wedding dresses, having a family, obvious things. Right. Her friend misses her dearly. She says that she actually had a dream with Alicia in it. And really? Alicia was telling her everything's okay. Okay. Wow. In 2013, Jose did appeal his case mm. because he said that the jury should have been instructed of the lesser offense of murder. In his case, voluntary manslaughter. The court basically said that the jury did not have to be instructed of voluntary manslaughter because this case did not involve a heat of passion moment. There wasn't sufficient evidence that showed a heat of passion. Okay. So... Basically, heat of passion means, let's say... Like in the heat of the moment. Yeah, heat of the moment. There's no time to cool off. You walk in on your wife having an affair and you shoot the lover. That is like the most common example they use in law school. Yeah. (laughs) When they're describing it. But yeah, like you don't have time to cool off. You don't have time to rationalize. Yeah. So obviously that doesn't sound like this case. And so the court was like, no, they did not have to be instructed of this. And they affirmed Jose's sentence of life in prison possibility parole in 34 years it's interesting because at first when i i i heard it and i'm pretty sure i said it earlier in the episode i was thinking maybe heat of passion like it happened in heat of moment but as i hear the facts of the case and the fact that he was like he was basically standing outside waiting you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying it seemed to me like he had an idea of what he was going to do yes and to be honest, it's like we don't know what happened in the apartment and what words were exchanged. So it could p- be possible that there was a heat impa- of passion, but I just feel like it's unlikely. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I see what you're saying. Like but there could have been words exchanged or like, I don't know. But just because like I'm thinking since he was just like waiting in plain yes, sight. But that's what it is. There's time to think and cool off, yes. you know, and process it. Exactly. So. Yeah. And I also have to say, like, it's interesting to me that both him and Pete both said something about the living room. Oh, we did it in the living room. Yeah. To place themselves outside, outside of, of the, the room. room. Right. So when I was first hearing this case, I was like, oh, look at that. Pete is also placing himself outside of the room. Yeah. But then, like, it's interesting, yeah, when Jose does it, too. And he really tried to, um, you know, outsmart the police. Definitely. He was working overtime. And honestly, Jose, can't even cash that check because, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It didn't work out in your favor. Did not work out in your favor. I'm glad mm-hmm. they got him. Yeah. I'm glad they did because it's like, he clearly had this like obsessive thing to him. Yeah. Very and territorial. Yes. And those people are dangerous. And also yeah. I have to say, Pete is very lucky that... Yeah. You know, he was also very close, just like John was, or whatever their real name is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. They were both really close to possibly having this pinned on them. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see them spinning it Especially on Pete. Especially Pete, because he was there. And he had he a, was- such a nervous demeanor to him, too. Yes. That they could totally try to flip and mm-hmm. use on him. Mm-hmm. But I think, did you say his cell phone records kind of cleared him? Um, I don't think I mentioned it, but yeah. he It was, was cl- his cell phone that yeah. showed he was at home? Yes. He's lucky. He literally was within minutes of her murder mm-hmm. and the fire. Yeah. Like, closer than John. They would have been like, all right, John, bye. We got Pete. You know yeah. what I'm saying? If they if they really could not tie Jose to it. Yes. I feel like Pete would have been more of a, you know. But again, his cell phone records, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, the cell phone. It all the really cell phone- did save him. Yeah, the cell phone records all came in at the same time. He was really... At his house. Christy was really at her relative's house. The only thing that was off was that Jose was at the apartment at 1.40 a.m. Exactly. So look at that. I mean, what a case. Very twisty and turny. But that's all I got. That is the case of Alicia Ray. We're sending her family well wishes and, you know, just peace. Because I can't even imagine the nightmare Mm -hmm. that they're living. 
and I'll say like, you know, speaking to the other family um, of the case we're going to be covering in like the next few weeks, I said the same thing where it is heavy for us to cover these cases. I don't watch true crime the way I used to anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I used to just like watch Netflix documentaries, but like I have a different lens on now. So mm-hmm. it's definitely heavy, but I made it very clear to them that like whatever we're feeling, they must be feeling a hundred times more, mm-hmm. right? Like you just never know until you're in those shoes. Yeah. So I'm just sending well wishes to Alicia's family, friends, everybody, because this can't be easy. And again, it's hard to say goodbye to a loved one, but then imagine like, all of these things happening too. Mm-hmm. I think I would have a hard time saying goodbye because I, I would just be, my brain wouldn't be able to register. You know what I'm saying? You're not seeing the person. You're mm-hmm. seeing like what's left of who they were. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But the spirit lives on. And it's nice that Alicia visited her friend in her dreams. Yeah. I have had friend. Haven't you had people visit you in your dreams? I've had people visit me to tell me they're okay. No, I've had premonitions of people dying and then they die. Okay. And that concludes this week's episode of It's the Mystery for Me. Actually, people have access to do an episode on like premonitions and stuff and things that have happened and ghost stories. And maybe we'll do an episode on that. Tell I don't want to scare y'all. Yeah, I know. I'm like, yo, I'm going to scare y'all. Yeah. And anyways, that concludes this week's episode of It's the Mystery for Me. Tune in next week for another new episode and stay safe out there. Bye. Bye.